Greetings, you are listening to Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve at Calvary Chapel Valdosta deliver the message, setting a firm foundation as we begin the book of Ephesians. Listen in. All right, good morning. Uh, good to see everyone this morning. And, you know, here we are in April. We're starting a new book of the Bible. We're starting a new series all together. I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago that we would be in the prison epistles, and we're going to start off with the book of Ephesians, uh, and uh, it should be a really, really good study for us, a really good time of going through uh, doctrine, but also going through uh, things that would influence our behavior and, um, and our vigilance. And so I think that Ephesians is going to be a really good book uh, to crawl through, um, I'm going to try to see if I could break it up into bite-sized chunks, but I, it definitely won't be 68 weeks like Luke. Um, and so I envision that at least we might be done with this by June time frame. But so much meat in the epistles as we go through the New Testament that has everything that we need for a godly life. And so I'm looking forward to Ephesians. I was looking forward this week as I began to prepare and read through and, and study through some of the texts. And um, you know, I think that you know, God will speak to us in a really, really strong way if we open our hearts to him and we say, Lord, teach me and speak to me. So let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, the prison epistles. As I mentioned before, Ephesians... Uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And uh, we're going to begin here with the book of Ephesians. So let's turn over there to chapter 1. And we're going to read down. We're going to give honor to God's word. So we'll stand together. We'll read down uh, to verse 3. Uh, but we're going to study the first chapter uh, this morning. So let's, let's stand. Let's give honor to this word. just like no other word. And then... We'll see what God has for us in the book of Ephesians. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Lord, we are so looking forward to the blessings that you have for us in this word, Lord, in this book, in this chapter, in these verses this morning. Lord, you know what we need to hear. We're not looking for you to just scratch some itch, Lord. Or we just want to hear something, Lord, novel. No, Lord, we want substance. We want something that will grow our faith, something that will challenge our faith, and something that will move our feet into action. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, says to the church. Lord, we pray that you would make us not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the word, that you would motivate us as we leave from this place. We'll be motivated to 
put these things into practice, to apply the scriptures, because we'll do it for you, Lord. We'll do it for our Savior. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, have your way with us. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. Now the book of Ephesians is an interesting book. The, the books, after you get out of the Gospels and after you get out of the, the only historical book of the New Testament, you get into the New Testament letters. And sometimes you'll hear people use the word epistle. It's an old word, but it just means a letter, a handwritten letter. You know, someone writes, and today we don't really write letters much. But back then, in the first century, this is how things were done. And so this epistle was written to the Ephesians, which just means, the I-A-N just means these are people of Ephesus. Now, this book was written around A.D. 62, circa A.D. 62, and that was getting close to the time that the Apostle Paul would leave this earth and pass into the next life. But he was imprisoned at Rome. It tells us in Acts chapter 28, they allowed him to dwell in his own house, teaching and meeting with people, but he had a Roman guard with him at all times. And so while he was in Rome, in prison, he felt it on his heart to write a letter to a number of churches. Paul was a pastor. Paul cared about people. Paul wasn't a man that just cared about making converts. He wasn't a man that just cared about numbers. He genuinely cared about people and how they fared, and especially those who have come into the faith of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is naturally thinking about the churches. He remembers Ephesus. He remembers the work that was done in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. That it is, it is one of the only countries that spans two continents. It's on the continent of Europe as well as the continent of Asia. And so for that reason, it was known in the first century as Asia Minor. It was Little Asia, if you will. And Ephesus was the chief city of Asia Minor. It was a great uh, there was a great trade route that kind of went through this. It was the key to the western provinces of Asia Minor. And so anytime you wanted to cross over and go to Rome, you, you no doubt you're going to go through Ephesus. It was a port city. It was, it was huge. There was a lot done there. There was a lot of wealth. There was also a lot of ungodliness. And Ephesus, Paul went through this city in the book of Acts. And he spent some time there in Acts chapter 18 as well as Acts chapter 19. And then he left Ephesus and, uh, after he visited one last time in Acts chapter 20. Now, uh, there are many uh, things about this location, things that happened in this church that is important for us to, to understand. It has to give us a good framework so we can understand why he's writing these things. Ephesus was a place for a great move of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, it tells us that there were some believers there who had not been yet filled with the Holy Spirit's power. There was something different about them. They were walking in something that was missing, and Paul discerned it. It was the Holy Spirit and his filling, him filling us up to be witnesses. And after Paul laid his hands and prayed for these believers, it was an amazing move of the Spirit. 
But it was also a place for a great word to be spoken and moved. It tells us in the book of Acts chapter 20, I mean, not chapter 20, Acts chapter 19, that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. This place right here, the people feared the word. Paul spent just about three years there. He's teaching in the school of a guy named Tyrannus, anyone who wanted to hear the word. The word moved mightily among these people. But Ephesus was also a place of great opportunity and great adversaries. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, tells us that Paul said he would stay at Ephesus and, and then he'll leave Ephesus. He said, there's a great door for me here, but there are also many adversaries. So it was a place, great opportunity. You can imagine it was a hub. So many people coming in from all over the place and then leaving out is a great, great place to share the word, to make disciples, because it could spread. But great doors oftentimes bring great opposition. And this is something that the Ephesians dealt with and something that Paul is going to talk about. So there are major themes in this book. I think there are three major themes in the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first major theme of this book is that grace begets blessing. It, it just always works like that. When we, when we receive and accept God's grace, we receive and accept the fullest blessing from God. We see that in, in the beginning chapters of Ephesians. But this book also has another major theme. It, it is also how to walk like a Christian. And Paul uses the word walk, parapetao in the Greek. He uses it six times in the book of Ephesians, more than any other word or phrase, indicating that what his epistle is all about. But it's also a book to remind the believers that they have to be vigilant because there's always opposition. So the title of our message, but the title of our series through the book of Ephesians, first and foremost, is walking like a Christian. As we go through the book of Ephesians, this is what we want to see through that lens. This is the filter, walking like a Christian. But the title of our message this morning is setting a foundation. Because that's exactly what Paul is going to do in the first chapter, is set a foundation. And over the, the next several weeks, we'll see you know, the blessings of this walk. We say walking like a Christian. We'll see the blessings of this walk. We'll be able to see the behaviors of this walk. And even the breadth of this walk. The scope of walking like a Christian. So setting a foundation. This is important if you're going to walk. We've got to have a good foundation. And this is what Paul tries to reemphasize and reinforce for the Ephesian believers. He already knew these guys but he needed to reinforce it again. You know, because we, we sometimes are leaky vessels. We, we hear one thing and then next week we forget it. This tells us in verse 1 that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In these first two verses, this is Paul's address to the Christians when we're speaking of setting the foundation. Here's his address. Notice how he addressed him. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
by the will of God. He states his authority. But this is not for domination. You know, see, titles in the scriptures, the titles in Jesus Christ, is not about domination, but it's all about declaring the essence of the authority. It's not about dominating with authority. Today, we take the ways of the world into the church and we try to think to ourselves, I need a title, and we want to dominate people with a title. If you got a title, people are going to listen to you. You could tell them what to do, but that's not how it is in Christ. Title is only to declare the essence of your authority. It tells us in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 19, that Paul said when he was among the Ephesians, he was among them in humility. He wasn't among them bearing and, and weighing upon them and you know, and just lording over. That's not how he was. That's not what his title was for. But this was to show the essence of his authority that, hey, I am Paul and I have been sent by Jesus Christ. That word apostle right there, it means sent one. That's what it means, one who is sent. And so I know today people like to use titles and they call themselves apostle this and apostle that, but we got to make sure that we keep it in focus and in context on the scriptures that the title was never for boasting. The title was only to declare who sent us. And Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says, by the will of God. It was because God wanted me to be an apostle. I didn't choose to be an apostle. God chose me to be an apostle. This is what he tells the Christians here at Ephesus. Notice how he addresses them. He says, to the saints which are at Ephesinos, as they would have been pronounced in the Greek, Ephesus. To the saints, he calls them saints. And that word saints there can be translated, I like the Greek word, is, is hagias. And it is actually a derivative of a larger word, a more complex word, which is the hagias pneuma, the most holy spirit of God. And the word saint means most holy thing. He says to the saints, those who are set apart, the most holy ones by God. You know, a saint is not something that we become when we die. No, a saint is something that we are made while we live for the Lord. That's a saint. And sometimes we get that in our mind, I'll be a saint when I die. And you know, no, we are saint now, a most holy thing now, a derivative of his spirit now. And he addresses them, he says, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice he says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see this phrase used often in the Pauline epistles, the, the letters that Paul wrote, is that he will use grace and peace together. They're sort of conjoined twins. You see, because... Without grace, you can have no peace, really. And it's because of grace that we can enjoy this peace. And when you have peace, you really appreciate God's grace. And so they are combined. They have to go together. And so he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul jumps in after his address to the Christians. He wants to show the blessings or the benefits to the Christians in verses 3 through 14. And this is important for us as believers to pay attention to this. Because 
oftentimes we, we forget and we miss, or we don't even realize the blessings and the benefits that are afforded to us believers. We come to Christ like, yeah, I'm going to have eternal life, yeah, yeah. But there's more to it. There are real bennies to being a Christian. We need to pay attention to these benefits. Paul is setting a foundation for the Christians there, a firm foundation, setting a firm foundation for the Christians in Ephesus, reinforcing it, and he wants to tell them about the benefits as a Christian. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The first thing that Paul is trying to show us here is that the nature of our blessing pertains to the matters of the soul, not the material things. You see, we live in a day and age where where we really only believe or you know, want to receive things that we can feel, things that we can touch, things that we can smell, things that we can see. But the nature of our benefits, our blessings as Christians, pertains to the matters of the soul. The spiritual blessings, that's what he says, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. This, they have a heavenly origin, these spiritual blessings. They're not just the material things, it's the immaterial things, the things that we can't see but we know to be sure in our hearts. This is what he says. He says he blesses us with spiritual blessings. No, it doesn't just say that. It says he blesses us with all spiritual blessings. We're not lacking anything is what he's saying. We're not without anything as a Christian. He gives us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. In Christ. That's a, that's a blessing there because when you think about it, why would God want to do that? What is the purpose? It's not like we can give something to God and He's like, oh yeah, for the, what you're giving to me, I'm going to give you all the spiritual blessings. That's how we work. We work, we're transactional type people. I give something to you, I expect something back. I give this much to you, I expect this much back. That's not how God is necessarily working. Though he is transactional, it's not with us. This is purely of grace. Notice he says, describes our spiritual blessings. In verse 4, he says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He gives us here a couple of things. First, I want you to say, we said the nature of our blessing pertains to the matters of the soul. But I want you to see here that the, the basis of our blessing pertains to his good pleasure. It's not because we're good or we deserve something. It's because he's good and he wants to give us something. That is the basis of our blessing. But the object of our blessing, you've got to see this here. The object of our blessing is only meant to help us to know how special we are 
that he has set us free, and that he has secured us. Notice first and foremost, there in verse 4 through 6, how special we are. Did you catch those words there, how he described the Ephesians? He says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That word chosen right there in the Greek could mean he pulled us out, like he picked us out acutely, particularly, specifically. He picked us out. God chose us. Just like how he chose Israel is what Paul is trying to say here. He chose Israel. He pulled, he said, you know, Israel, you don't have anybody. You just look terrible. This is how he described it in, in the book of Isaiah. You, 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 nobody really wants you, but I'm going to choose you. And the Lord chose Israel. This is how he chooses us. He picked us out. He says, before the foundation of the world. And he says that he predestinated us to the adoption. Listen to that. The adopt These are special words. To, to be chosen, to be adopted. You know, the word adoption there in the, in the first century, in the Greek culture, especially in the Roman culture, the word adoption was serious. When you were adopted, you became a son. You became under the name of that person who led that house. No matter what you did in the past, it's all been erased. When you become adopted under this term, everything is erased. You're now receiving all the benefits of this new family. He says you are chosen. You are adopted. You have been decreed from eternity. That's what predestinated means. Like God has chosen you from, from the beginning. He says also in verse 6, in which he made us accepted in the beloved. Chosen, adopted, accepted. These are special words for a special people. This should make us feel significant that we are chosen, that we are claimed, that we are connected. This is what the blessings are all about. The object of that blessings make us feel special. God says, you're not just a regular people. You are special. This is not just to the Ephesians. It's to the Christians. To the Christians. Christians, we are special. If you're a Christian, God chose you. You're special. If you're a Christian, God adopted you. You're special. You're now in his family. And notice how he even describes that in verse 4. He says that you are chosen, that you should be what? holy and without blame before him in love. You're taking on his character. You're taking on his nature. You're in his family now. You're not in that old family. You're in his family. And because you're in his family, you're to walk in his ways. He says that we should, he chose us so that we should be holy. We should be set apart. We should be without blame. We should be without blemish. That's what that word means. Before him in love. It almost uses the terms from the Old Testament that when Israel would offer a sacrifice, it would be holy and without blemish, be perfect for the Lord. That's what he says. This is how you should be. I chose you so you could be this way, not the other way. Missing an ear, you know, leg cut off, limping and maimed. That's not how the Christians are supposed to be, tattered and worn. That is not the intent of the Christian. The blessings that he chosen us. To be holy. 
without blemish. That he adopted us into his family. He made us sons. He didn't adopt us and say, you're going to be servants. He didn't adopt us and say, you're going to be my bond slaves now. Although, yes, we say, I want to be your bond slave, Lord, your willing slave, because of what you did for me. But he, he made us sons. He took us into the family and said, you're a son now. You're a son. That, that, that means big time dividends. Not just material things, but as a son, a son re receives everything of his father. A son gets the inheritance of the father. And this is what he made us. In fact, in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 15, he tells us here that from this point forward, I do not call you servants. For the servant does not know what his Lord does, but I have called you friends, philos, in the Greek. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. What he's saying is that you are very close to me. You're not a servant that doesn't know his master's will. No, I've called you closer than that. This is what makes us special. God draws us, he brings us near to himself. This is the benefit of a Christian, that he's near to God. And he is connected. He is accepted in the beloved. You know, how many people want to be accepted today? I think that is the essence of what we see going on in the culture around us today, that people don't feel that they're accepted. And so suicide is very high in children. How could it be high in children? They are the ones that have the most hope, the most optimism. They're the ones that don't hold on to grudges. But yet children... These days are, are, are getting on, you know, the internet and saying that they have no hope and they don't want to live anymore. What is this? But as a Christian, God has made us accepted. We're accepted. We belong to somewhere, to something, to a people, a group. We belong. We're not stragglers. We're connected. These are blessings here. This is what it's supposed to be like. But then in verses 7, it tells us here that in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Remember I said the, the, the object of his blessings is that he, he wants to show us that and wants us to know that we're special. He wants us to know that we're set free. And he wants us to know that we're secure. And so here he tells us that we have been set free. He says, in whom we have redemption. That word can be translated deliverance because of a payment that was made. He says, through his blood, he paid for our freedom with his blood. He set us free. This is the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. His grace is so rich, he did this for us. He set us free. God wants us to know that we have been set free. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he who is in Christ Jesus is free. Indeed, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're not in bondage anymore. How is it that a Christian can now be entangled again? That doesn't make sense. Christ has cleared the knot. He's made all things straight. He says we're free. It's according to his riches. It's according to his grace, in which he has, in verse 8, abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has 
purposed in himself or determined in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times or that in the plan of the times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. What he's saying here is that the Lord has set us free, but it was all part of a larger plan. Yes, he made it individual, he called us personally, but it's part of a larger plan. And this plan is not just to make us free, but it's also to give us some measure of knowledge. He says the mystery of his will. Now we can understand what God is doing. We have his word and we can bring understanding to it. It says according to his good pleasure. He says that in the dispensation, that, that word can be translated the management of affairs. In essence, it's a plan. It's a managing plan. And he says of the fullness of times, that means his overarching plan that his plan is to gather together in one all things in Christ. The ultimate plan is to bring everything back into order, back into line. We know from the book of Genesis chapter 3 that everything unraveled after Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord's commandment. And when, when Eve took the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to Adam and he willingly disobeyed God, yeah, everything unraveled at that point. Everything went down the drain. And so all of this, what God is doing is to bring everything back into order, back into Christ, as it tells us in Colossians chapter 1, that in Him everything consists. Everything is, is orderly. This is how, you know, the elements and everything, the gravity and the stuff that we, this is how it's held together because it's, it's Christ. But this part of creation needs to come back into one. It was part of God's plan. But he also secured us, because it tells us in verse 11, he says, in whom also, speaking of Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. That word can mean a possession. We get something from this. Now this is the part right here that most Christians trip up over, because we want something. We, we, we want some sort of blessing. You know, we have this expectation in our minds and our hearts that if I'm a Christian, I should be receiving good things. Because, you know, we'll use scriptures. It's like James chapter 1 says, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow or turning and no variableness, no shifting. And so we're like, man, I'm supposed to get good stuff. And if I'm a son, I'm supposed to get good things. And if I'm a king's kid, all the wealth is supposed to come to me. And, and that's, not, that's not entirely true. It's not about material things. But we do have a possession. We do and will have an inheritance. Something to look forward to when we get to heaven. I remember reading that short story. I think it was called The Mansion. And there was a man who was here on earth, and he was very stingy with his goods. He wouldn't share with anybody. And when his son wanted to share with people, he, didn't, he just, you know, don't share with that person. They may not pay you back. I mean, he was a very shrewd person. When he got to heaven, as the angel is his you know, of course, fiction, or as the angel was walking him around, and they were going to everybody's inheritance, you know, what they were going to receive. Man, they were going by some big mansions. And this guy was like, wow, this is nice. This is, he was whispering over to the guy next to him, like, this is probably for me, you know, because look at the marble. Like, this is it's probably my thing. I can't wait. And they get in there and they give it to someone else. 
And they're walking through, and every time they go to a new mansion, he's like, this is probably my house right here. I mean, look, look at the portico. I mean, I, God knows I was waiting for my inheritance. And they continue to walk through all the mansions until finally the angel took him lastly outside of the city, and there was a little shack out there. And he said, here's, here's your place. He said, what? What do you mean? He's, what do you mean this is my place? I don't understand. He said, this is all you sent up. You didn't send anything up here. You, you lived for yourself while you were done it. You sent nothing forward. There's no inheritance for you except this shack. Enjoy. And that's how sometimes, you know, us, we live today as Christians. We're thinking only about down here and the blessings that we have down here and, you know, the Mercedes Benz and all those. Hey, don't get me wrong. I like nice cars. I like cars. That's just one thing about it. I like cars. But that's not the object of our blessing. That's not the focus. We have a an inheritance for the future. One, as it tells us in the scriptures, that cannot be corrupted in the book of 1 Corinthians by moth. It cannot rot. It cannot rust. We have something waiting for us. And the more that we invest in the Lord, the more that we pour in our time and our heart and our focus and our mind, the more that's being built up and ready for us. And so we have to remember we have an inheritance. He says, being predestinated in verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you have believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I like that word sealed. It meant something back in the first century. Today, it doesn't really mean much because we don't mail stuff and letters anymore. Everything's paid online. Nobody licks the, the thing anymore. And even if you go get an envelope from the, the post office, it's a sticky on there you just pull off. You don't have to taste the tape anymore, the glue, whatever it is. Nobody seals anything. And in the first century, they actually had these signet rings and they had wax and they would put it on the paper and they would seal it with the, the, in, the inscription of the person, the authority of the person who's putting it down. And when it is open, it is broken, but it was sealed. And he says, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God is inscribing upon you and saying, you are mine. You belong to me. And he says, you are secure, not just with that, but verse 14, he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest. Today, we use that word earnest heavily when we're purchasing a home. Normally, a bank or a lender will ask for earnest money deposit. It is a good faith deposit. It is saying that you are not going to just cancel out when we put this contract together, but you're going to be in it for the long haul. And so they, 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 they say, give me an earnest. I need at least 1% or 2% down or something like that. And you give them the money as a pledge to say, I'm in this thing all the way. And this is what God has done with us. He has sealed us with the earnest. This is the earnest of our inheritance. It is the Holy Spirit of promise. We receive the Holy Spirit. He lives in our hearts. He reminds us of what Jesus' words say, as it says in John chapter 14. He reminds us. He, he convicts us. He, he comforts us. He speaks to us. He teaches us. He allows his presence to go with us until we meet him face to face. We have security. God said, I gave you my Holy Spirit. 
when you first become a Christian. You don't, you know, when you were, weren't a Christian, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. You could do all kinds of things that lack integrity, all kinds. But when you become a Christian, all of a sudden, there's something starts to bother you. You know, you, you're driving on a highway 20 miles over the speed limit. You're like, man, I don't know if I should be doing this. This is not right. I remember I started thinking that way. I was like, man, I can really like just live for the Lord. And, and I was driving on 95 and the speed limit on 95 was like 65. Everybody does 85. I was like, man, if I do 65, you mean I won't get a ticket? My shirts would be, I was doing 65, man. I was driving. And some people thought I was like a grandma, you know. And, and it used to scare Kanisha. She would be like, what? this is getting crazy, okay? This is getting too much. Why are we, all the cars are going this speed. We should be going the flow of traffic. And I was like, no, 65. I said, 65 on the limit right there, 65. Yeah, I don't care. You know, and, and your mind, you start to think, man, I just want to do what's right. And that's the Holy Spirit that's living within you. He doesn't allow you to cut corners. He doesn't allow you to cheat. He doesn't allow you to steal. He doesn't allow you to be without integrity. He wants you to honor God. And so he convicts you. He speaks to your heart. He whispers in your ear. He says, don't do it. I'll give you strength. Don't do it. So these are the benefits These are the benefits of a Christian. This is, what we, this is what we hold on to, that we're special, that we've been set free, that we're secure in Christ Jesus. These are things that we should rejoice in. And Paul sets a foundation for the believers. He addresses the Christians, verse 1 and 2. He explains the benefits of a Christian in verses 3 through 14. Now he explains or he prays the need of a Christian. The need of a Christian. Look, we got to see the need of a Christian. These are very, very important things in the next few verses. The need of a Christian. At the end of there, verse 14, he says, to the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Until the time when we stand before him, we have that earnest upon us. But now he transitions into the need. Notice Paul says in verse 15, Therefore I also, as I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He said, I hear about you guys. Now Paul had left them in Acts chapter 20. He prayed with the Ephesian elders and their families, and he went on to Rome. And he knew that chains were going to await him and that he may not ever see them again. And based on the history and what we have, he never saw them again. But he, thought he never ceased to think about them. And in fact, he heard about them. I, I know Paul was probably thinking even more, man, the Ephesians, man, I love those guys. And then he would hear somebody, and they'll come, and they're talking about Jesus. And they're like, man, you need to receive the Lord, man, and his boldness and his power. And Paul goes up to meet this guy. You just imagine in your mind, he goes up to meet him while he's in Rome. And he's like, where are you from? He's like, man, Ephesus. What? How? He says, man, I hear of your faith and love. I hear it. I see people, you know, doubt people were coming. And he was finding out, man, they were from Ephesus. It's like, wow. 
And John said it best in the book of Second John. He says uh, he has no, uh, actually in Third John, he has no greater joy than to hear that his children walk in truth. And I know that it brought joy to Paul to hear that the Ephesian elders were clinging and connecting to Jesus Christ, not to Paul. That they weren't in Rome saying, man, I'm Paul, man, and this is, you need to, listen, you need to worship what Paul says. No, they were connected to Jesus, and that made his heart, I'm sure, bubbly. That's why he says, man, because of this reason, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, make a mention of you in my prayers. I'm praying for you guys. Now, what is Paul praying for them? He's praying the most important things for the Christian. Notice what he's praying in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The first thing that Paul says that he's praying for them, the most important things, the needful things, is that they would have a correct and a precise knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is very, very important. You've got to see the need of the Christian is to have this correct and precise knowledge. That word knowledge there in verse 17, that's what it means. Precise and correct. Correct and precise. It is not something that you're just, you're wondering who he is. You're like, I know about him. No, you know him intimately. And that is very, very important for the Christian. We must have a correct and a precise knowledge of Jesus Christ. And notice, it doesn't come through our own strength. It says he was praying for wisdom and revelation. Wisdom that comes from God. Revelation, that is where we get our word apocalypse, the revealing. He, he's saying, I'm praying that God would reveal the correct and the precise knowledge of his son to you. Because without that, you will go, you'll go astray. You will go awry. You will not be complete. You will not be whole. You will be missing. You will be lacking. And this is why he, he said, I'm praying this for you. This is why the scriptures tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our, of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. It doesn't tell us to grow in the miracles. It doesn't tell us to grow in the gifts of the Spirit. It tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we should be growing. We need to be acquainted with Jesus. We need to study Him. And how do you do that? You spend time in the Word. As we mentioned several weeks ago, John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures thinking that they give eternal life, but they are the things that point to me. They all point to me. They all point to Christ. So whether you read the Old Testament, there is a scarlet thread in there that points to Jesus Christ. You read the Gospels, acquaint yourself with Jesus Christ. You read the epistles, the letters, Get to know Jesus Christ because we need a correct and a precise knowledge of the Lord. This is what Paul said he was praying for the Ephesian church. And gang, this is what we need to be praying for. This is what we need to be asking for. God, could you give me a correct and precise knowledge of you? Let me read your word and get this. Get this let me get the whole counsel, not just a little bit here and there, but the whole thing. The next thing that he prays for, he says that the eyes of your understanding 
being enlightened. He says the eyes of your understanding, that's the eyes of the mind, is what he's trying to say. They need to be illuminated. For what reason? It tells us there in verse 18 that you may know, that you may perceive. Three things in these next two verses. This is why he wants their, their eyes to be open. That they may perceive, number one, his expectation. It says the hope of his calling. The reward, it says, in the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And his ability to do it all. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? This is what Paul said he is praying for them. He's praying that they might understand that their minds may be illuminated to know or to perceive what is the hope of his calling. What is God's expectation for you and for me? This is what Christians need to know. God has an expectation for you. Yes, he saved you, and that's good. That is incredible. But there's more to it. God wants more from your life. He wants to use you in a special way. He wants to put you as a spectacle. He wants people to see you. He wants them to see the people that he chooses. He wants them to marvel, and he wants them to be hungry for it themselves. And this is what God is this is, what, this is what Paul is saying. This is what God is trying to show us, that the need of the Christian is to have our understanding open so that we can understand what he expects from us. What is the hope of his calling? What God wants from us. What God wants to give us. He also says his reward, that we would know or perceive what the riches of the glory of their inheritance is in the saints. So we won't be walking around, as my pastor used to say, like we were baptized in lemon juice, just all sour and just, you know, yeah, you know, what the Lord is this, you know. No, but we, we have something that we're really hoping for, that, we, that we're shooting for. Man, and I can't wait till I get up there. Because, listen, listen, gang, I, I, I said it before, I can't wait to get up there. I know God is going to have, you know, this really, really nice road bike for me, something that I could ride, and I'll be able to ride up, you know, Mount Sinai or whatever it is up there in heaven. And, man, I won't get tired. I'll just be like, you know, or I might get tired, but, man, I'll still go because I know, man, I can rest later and I'm going to recover, and i go ride another mountain right after that. You know, and, I, and I, I'm looking forward to good things when I get there. Therefore, I'm living here so that I can enjoy it there. I'm living here for him. And also the greatness of his power, you know, because we, we can forget that God can't do it. Just as we read, he can do it. Just as we sang earlier, he can do it again. I've seen you move, move the mountains. You know, we, we trust that God can do it again, that God will do these things, that his arm is not short. And that he is all-powerful. And Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you, Ephesians. And this is what we need as a Christian. We need this. We need to know Jesus Christ. We need to understand the hope of our calling, his expectations. We need to understand the rewards that come for being a Christian. We need to understand his power. That is not something that we could do. It's what he can do. Well, we are becoming more dependent. You know, when we were growing up in regular life, uh, you know, just from little kids, 
We're, we're being taught how to grow from dependence to independence. I remember we, we could not wait to stop buying Pampers. It's like, man, I can't wait till this happens. And we couldn't wait to stop buying bottles. And we couldn't wait till they could bathe themselves. You know, having to come home at different times. And we're coming home from Bible study late. We're like, man, who has to give this guy a bath? And we got to give him a bath and they're crying. And they don't want to be washed up. And, and then you clean them up and put them on a the bed. And then they're peeing all over the place. And you're like, well, I just want to go to bed. I can't wait for the day they could do it themselves. The day when they could cook themselves and the day when they can clean themselves. And, and I don't know if we're ever going to get to that day. <laughs> but, you know, when we're in Christ, here's the thing. When we're in Christ, it's the opposite. We're very independent when we come to the Lord. But we're supposed to be growing dependent upon the Lord. Where we're not trusting in ourselves anymore. We're not trusting in our own ways. We're not trying to do our own thing. We're not trying to provide for our own selves, but we are becoming very, very dependent on the Lord. Where we're praying for everything. That's where we are supposed to be as a Christian. And so Paul says that we need to understand this power. This is what he prays for the Ephesians. This is what we need as Christians. And he says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, he's describing the power. And he said, and it's the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead and the same power that set him in the place of authority and, and, and the authority that is, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet, that same power that has established Christ, put everything under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The great need, the need of the Christian here, as Paul is setting the foundation for the, the letter, the need of the Christian is to know the Lord intimately, correctly and precisely. The need of the Christian is to, is to understand what God's expectation is, to know what the reward is, to, to know his power. The need of the Christian is even here at the end, is to fit into his body. To understand that the body, it says right here, his body, the church's body, is the fullness of him. It is in the church where you have the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of God's power, the fullness of God's purpose. It's not outside of the church. This is why we have to combat the ungodly notion today that you don't need to be a part of a church, that you don't need to go to church, that you can do it online, you can do it by yourself. That's, that's wrong. That's not biblical. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to let us not forsake the gathering of, of one another as, as the manner of some. Some people were doing this. He says, let us not forsake it. And here we see that it is in the body of Christ where we can experience the fullness of God's presence, his power, and purpose. This is why we need to be a part of a body. This is why we need to be a part of a church. And not just, you know, taking up space, but praying, what is my role here, Lord? What do you want me to do? 
I need to be used in your plan. And we can be very effective when we are as a body. So Paul sets the foundation for the letter to the Ephesians. I know we just covered a lot, but if you could just break it down into your mind that he addresses the Christians first. Second, he explains all of the benefits of the Christian for the Christian. And lastly, he prays for the need, you know, the basic needs, the most important needs of the Christian. And this is how he lays the foundation for things to come. And remember I told you that this book is going to be all about walking like a Christian. And if we're going to walk like a Christian, we've got to first have a good foundation. Otherwise, we're going to be wobbling. As we'll read later on in chapter 4, we're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We've got to have a good foundation. Understand who we are. Understand what we need. And then we'll know how to really apply the things to walk. Today's message addresses the Christian, covers the benefits for the Christian, and covers the need of the Christian. You can follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta or reach us by phone at 301-395-3382 for more information. Now we offer a closing prayer. So let's pray together and uh, just give thanks to God's word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the book of Ephesians and uh, so many blessings that we have covered this morning and uh, so many critical things that we need. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to go back over our study because I know there are many more gems that need to be mined in chapter one. Let this be a... a a provocation, Lord, something to provoke us into getting closer with you. Lord, we want our hearts to burn within us when we spend time in your word. Thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. You have spared none. We thank you for all of your goodness towards us. This is why we want to serve you, Lord because of your grace, because of your good pleasure. And so help us to give glory to you, Lord, with our lives, not just our words. Help us to magnify and lift up Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that these would be the beginnings of us walking like a Christian. Change our thinking. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.